0: Akiron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Adam. Cheers for having me.
0: So for those who perhaps don't know who you are, could you please do a little bit of an introduction to to your background? That would be
1: great. I guess first and foremost, I'm a a lecturer in TUS, Technological University, the Shannon, um, previously AIT. Um, And here I'm the the course leader for the the sports science program. I am... in terms of my, my background prior to that I guess I I studied sports science at an undergraduate level um, and then went on to do a PhD in biomechanics. Um, and then started lecturing full time and I guess within or throughout all of that time I always had a, a very specific interest in in nutrition. Um so I actually went back then to, to do a masters in sports nutrition, same masters that you've since completed yourself, Adam, I believe. Um and now, um, outside of the, the day-to-day teaching, probably the, the biggest part of my role in, in TUS is from a, a research perspective. So I'm um, one of the lead investigators in the, the, SHE, the SHE research group in, in Athlone, which essentially is a, a research group group that aims to, to bridge the gender data gap, obviously that currently exists across the board in sport and health sciences. Um, and specifically, I lead, along with... Um, uh, Dr. Need Kelliger, the kind of sports performance pillar of that research group. Um, so I guess with, within that, it's a, a very much a targeted approach from a multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary perspective to try and address um, questions within female sports. Um, that doesn't mean, I guess, that the only research we do is on female athletes. We do research, um, obviously, across, across um males and females but we try as much as possible um, to have a balanced approach um, in, in all of our research mm. as well as doing female focused research if that makes sense.
0: Yeah and and the, and the topic today uh, what we want to talk about is, is nutrition specifically around uh, GAA or, or, yeah. or Gaelic sports so um, I know that a lot of listeners to this podcast they're not actually from Ireland and they may not be aware of what actually GA is so do you want to give your your definition in the in the abstract or the introduction of the papers of what GA is
1: yeah so I guess um it's obviously a sport indigenous to Ireland um if we want to uh, compare it to other ball sports it's uh, an invasion-based team sport um so obviously where we're trying to outscore the opposition um so similar um, from that perspective to other ball sports like soccer, Australian rules um, or rugby. Um, and we know that probably at an elite level in Gaelic games that um, our top athletes display kind of physiological characteristics um, as well as kind of training times and volumes similar to that as professionals in in those other sports. In terms of differences relative to the sports that people are familiar with, I guess the pitch is probably a little bit larger, somewhere in the region of 20 to 40% larger um, compared to soccer. The ball is, is quite a lot heavier, um, which takes people by surprise if they've never, if they're used to kicking a football um, and then obviously take a punt at a, a Gaelic football, it's very, very different. Um, and then as I said, similar to other sports, it's intermittent in nature. Um, we've got a host or a multitude of components of fitness that contribute to performance, um, and the, the goal is to, to outscore the opposition. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, a, definitely a good, well-rounded uh, um, explanation. And, and I guess specifically what we're talking about there is like Gaelic football, right, and not not hurling, which is the other sport that people won't be familiar with.
1: Yeah, so that's 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 Gaelic okay. like football now. In terms of the, the physiological characteristics and the energetics of the, the the game demands, they're somewhat similar. Um the slight differences obviously being that in hurling instead of trying to score with the ball, you've got a, a hurling, which is a stick and a much smaller ball similar to a baseball mm-hmm. or a lacrosse ball. Um slight differences in the things like distance covered, um not all the time, but for the most part due to of the fact that Um, the ball and hurling will travel significantly further which can sometimes result in slightly less distance covered for example by players Mm.
0: and the research that that you've done within that is that specifically just looking at football or is that looking at both football and hurling
1: so on the I guess on the applied side when we've the research we've done in terms of the kind of contribution or the influence of physiological characteristics on gameplay has been focused on Gaelic football that's and across the board, it's largely been Gaelic football, um, but when it comes to some of the the nutrition work that we've done in the areas of kind of nutrition knowledge, um, we mm. looked at we looked at both, um, mm. we have looked at all Gaelic games, sorry, yeah. Mm.
0: And there's, as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been a lot of research in in Gaelic sports with regards to nutrition or just research, I think, in general. Um, is that because it's not an amateur, or sorry, it's not a professional sport and it's an amateur? Or is there any specific reason why that's really only coming to the forefront over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I guess um, I think the amateur status definitely has played a, a role in that, um, Obviously, if we look at kind of sports science research and sports nutrition in, in general, they're relatively young disciplines in comparison to other scientific disciplines. Um, so kind of that combined with the fact that professionalism is only slowly kind of creeping into to Gaelic games and Gaelic football, um, that there's just been, I guess, a delayed start to the research process relative to, to other um, field-based and vision team sports like soccer or, or like rugby. Mm. Also... Probably um, a big part of that is the the financial side, obviously, because it's a, an amateur sport. There's although there's money involved, um, we're obviously not looking at the type of money that we see in in professional sports. And one thing, obviously, we need to do um, that we need for research is funding and, and money. So that's probably been a big part of it. Um, but you're right, across the board in Gaelic games, although it's improving, there's very very little research. Um, and almost none in the the nutrition realm specifically. We've got a little bit more about kind of physiological characteristics, um, but very little in, in nutrition. Mm. Whatever we do have is in males. We've got almost nothing on females. And most of what we do have is probably at the elite end of the spectrum versus, I guess, the recreational footballers or the sub-elite footballers.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting to talk about how that, how that might differ. But I suppose we'll, if we take a step back, like people listening to this that might play Gaelic and, you know might want to understand their their diet better or or how they can perform better how would that the diet differ or how how has the research you've done shown any difference than what like it might be in soccer or in rugby?
1: yeah, so I guess um I guess the the first the caveat that I'm going to start with here is that we probably don't have the research yet to, to answer that question um in a very informed way. So we're, we're very much reliant on a limited amount of data in combination with looking at recommendations from these other sports and trying to contextualize them um, within the parameters of Gaelic football, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's just important, I guess, to, to highlight that before I, I jump into it. Um, mm. So we have limited research and I guess the, the kind of common theme that has come from any research that we do have is that uh, similar to other sports, the the big message appears to be that players um, consistently under consume calories. Um, and within that, the problem area specifically appears to be under consumption of carbohydrate is that appears to be again, that the big kind of problem area, uh, which is probably not surprising. Um, given that we see similar patterns across the board in, in things like Australian rules or, or soccer or rugby. Mm.
0: And then that could lead to right relative
1: energy deficiency, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, we, there's, there's a number of studies that have obviously tried to um, measure dietary intake in gated games. Um, off the top of my head, it could be somewhere in the region of three to five. Um the data is limited in that there are most of them, and there's only one study that has measured that alongside energy expenditure. So to begin with, the validity of the data um, is questionable from that perspective, because obviously it's, we're, we're relying on uh, food records and um, players' capacity to, to do that correctly and all the inaccuracies that come with that. Um, so, Although um, the data would indicate that there's potentially issues with potentially running into um, relative of energy deficiency um, or low energy availability, um, again, we probably we don't have the data to, to fully confirm that. There is actually um, some new work coming from uh, Amy McGuire in our Technological University from our Limerick campus um, on low energy availability in males, which is obviously uh, a topic that is generally underrepresented in the research relative to the female side of low energy availability. And she's specifically been looking at the Gaelic games, which should have formed this question a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's hard to, to draw the, to determine whether low energy availability is an issue until we have a, a good grasp of what the actual energy expenditure of players is. Um, And I guess looking at other sports like soccer or or rugby or Australian rules um, to try and extrapolate um, their research findings to Gaelic football um, typically is very problematic because of the the kind of quasi-professional nature of an elite footballer whereby they're obviously training to a very high level, but they also have a professional or academic commitments um, on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah that makes sense I think like um, I know you're trying to be reserved in in what you're saying because the the data isn't quite there but others would just say you know here's the GAA the diet because they played Gaelic once Um, yeah but uh, I I know that's your your academic kind of um, integrity uh, there coming through but it it would make sense right if, if you if you find that they're if people are under eating carbohydrates then there probably is some sort of logical assumption that they're probably under eating calories right um or they're not yeah they're not consuming yeah. um and in, even if they didn't have say some of the symptoms of relative energy deficiency which i'm I know we, I spoke about that with Renny McGregor before on this podcast, but if people haven't listened to it, it's essentially just a mismatch of, of energy um, available for biological function because you're just doing so much yeah. exercise. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're in an energy deficit. It just means not enough energy to function at 100% your biological yeah. functions, I guess. Um,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, we do have, yeah. there is one study, um, O'Brien, I think it's 2018, that... Um, assessed expenditure alongside um, intake now which in itself isn't obviously a direct indication of low energy availability or even a measurement of it but in in that study they they highlighted that players were kind of consistently in a, a calorie, a caloric deficit of about 400-500 calories um, and that was in an off-season period. Mm. So there does appear to be a mismatch.
0: Gotcha. So um, I, I know that there might not be all the the exact research there i think even in within within soccer itself there's not uh we don't have all the answers but what would be what would be an ideal dietary pattern for someone who does want to maximize their performance and then in, in gaelic games and is there any difference between that uh who, who's someone who's at the, the the top level versus someone who's at a recreational level
1: um, I guess okay. So the the first half of the question, in terms of the an ideal diet, it's what we're going back to is the kind of general recommendations for team sports and trying to modify them for the individual. Um, so we're looking at high carbohydrate intake, relatively low uh, fat intake, um, and relatively high protein intake also with obviously scope for periodization of each of those across, uh, across the season. Um, and when I'm saying high carbohydrate intake, if we're looking at the, the recommendations, obviously we're again, kind of five to 10 grams per kilogram, potentially, especially in, in preparation for games. Um, I know there's data on soccer that suggests five grams per kilogram, um, like during off season periods is potentially too high. Um, but all these things will always be kind of a sliding scale that should be modified based on the athlete and working with the individual. Um, And I I guess one thing that is important to to note when we're talking about optimizing performance, I think that starts with um, optimizing adaptation throughout the year, um, which is obviously acutely and I guess longitudinally different to optimising someone's performance in a game, if that makes sense. Um, and what that looks like is going to be very different for someone that has to build muscle mass, for example, throughout a year versus someone that potentially needs to lose some body fat throughout a year um, versus someone that wants to maintain their current body composition um, but increase strength or or power or, or that type of thing. Um, so that's, that's always important to, to consider and to, to work with the athlete and then really develop a good understanding of the energetic requirements of out, outside of training and their kind of profession. Um, that's the the big thing in Gaelic football. I think I've, I've mentioned that already, that we don't have to deal with in other sports. Um, and just to, I guess, to give some context to how divergent or different this can be between players um I've worked with a good footballer in the past that was a, a farmer who on a day to day basis would have had kind of step count in the region of forty to fifty thousand steps, um, on top of uh, maybe doing two sessions a a day, two to three times a week. On the other end of that spectrum, we have someone in the same team and um, that's an office worker that is maybe getting six to seven thousand steps per day. So obviously those two players are looking at very, very different um dietary intakes from the perspective of optimizing their preparation for training and their adaptation um and then optimizing preparation for games also
0: mm. so would you would you when you're working with I know that you worked with some some of the intercounty teams before would you have adjusted um or recommend that people would adjust their calories and their carbohydrate intake around their training days or do they have a, just a diet that they would follow? for the full week. Um, and I know that, you know, with, with Gaelic players, they, they will have all commitments, other commitments to their jobs, um, yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. So I guess, um, the answer to that is probably the cop-out in terms of it very, it would very much vary from person to person and their, how their lifestyle, um, facilitated adherence, um, as much as possible. So their player or people like, um, that that farmer for example his caloric intake was pretty was um standard across the week but it was just extremely high across the week um just to try and maintain um muscle mass obviously but it was really just trying to maintain his current weight because his condition was where it needed to be um and say trying to to put more food into training days just wasn't wasn't possible um Whereas then people on the other end of the spectrum, that that definitely would happen, where we might periodize carbohydrates throughout the week to favor um training days so of higher higher calorie intake, and typically the higher cal- caloric intake will come from an increase in carbohydrates, um, for for the most part anyway.
0: Mm. And. And how is how important is say the the change of fats or proteins? I know that it's very um, anaerobic, anaerobically demanding. So carbohydrates are important, similar to like foot, like soccer or rugby as well. But how, how important is is protein and and fats? And I've 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 also heard like you know some athletes are trying high fat diets, fasting, and these kind of things are are seen as performance enhancers. Often as well, like can can these be detrimental or useful in in the case of a Gaelic football player?
1: Yeah, so I think um, I guess firstly the on the the protein end of the mm. the spectrum, again, kind of guidelines obviously dictate a sliding scale of, depending on the guidelines you're looking at, kind of one point two grams per kilogram up to two or even higher, depending on on goals. Um, so I I typically work off. Um, a periodized model where we'll keep protein high throughout the year and relatively consistent um, but in periods where we're preparing for games and we might have be running carbohydrate loading strategies we, we potentially will reduce um, protein acutely to facilitate an increase in carbohydrate consumption around games if that makes sense
0: just so they're um, not eating too much food is that right
1: yeah exactly just yeah. to make it easier for them to consume the higher carbohydrate intake um and then um for the most part then though it would stay relatively consistent with a lot of a lot of players there is um on an individual basis sometimes uh players trying to to build muscle mass or potentially trying to restrict um energy intake to lose body composition where potentially will increase protein um, a little bit above, kind of two grams per kilogram um, per kg, more so really from a satiety perspective a lot of the time. Um, although obviously there is some evidence where kind of going up to higher intakes of potentially three grams per kilogram, um, potentially beneficial, but probably negligible in the grand scheme of things of a year. So from a, a very applied perspective, it's it's kind of uh appetite control for the most part when I do do that um, when working with players. Um, So yeah, it stays relatively consistent. The one that uh, changes the most is, as I said, is is carbohydrate throughout the year. And then any changes in fat and protein are typically as a result of a change in carbohydrate, if that makes sense.
0: Mm. So often, yeah, just to interject there, often, um, We've heard like uh, you know, fat is, or particularly saturated fat is like a, it's a precursor to some hormones, or you know, even like cholesterol um, is you know is extremely important for for health. Therefore, we should be following a high fat diet, you know, and people can end up you know get, getting on on that kind of train. What, what are your thoughts around you know fat, the minimum consumption, maximum consumption, are the high fat diets
1: beneficial performance? Um, in Gated Games, as yeah. you kind of said, the high-intensity nature of it obviously um, means that using fat as a fuel source is potentially um, going to, or probably going to be detrimental to performance. Now, that doesn't mean there is not scope for looking at phases of lower carbohydrate intake um, or carbohydrate rest- carbohydrate restriction more so than increased fat, probably, Um but to be honest, across the board in gated games, the the base level of nutrition is, I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush because the, the standards probably vary a huge amount relative to kind of nutrition provision within teams and how that varies from the best teams in the country, for example, to, to lower divisions. Um, but the the typically the standards are relatively low. So looking at more advanced strategies like um, increasing fat or fat adaptation, or even carbohydrate restriction, to try and look at things like uh, mitochondrial biogenesis or anything like that, or improve carbohydrate or fat oxidation, um, for, for the most part, a little bit beyond the scope of what we're trying to achieve at the moment. Um, if if that makes sense, um, in yeah. terms of Uh, the kind of recommendations are typically what we're looking at from a fat perspective is kind of 30 to 35%. I know that's the kind of the generic recommendation for for team sports. Um, That's kind of what we work off and probably um, looking at lower ends of that spectrum. Ideally, when we're looking at carbohydrate loading strategies around games, again, for the simple fact of reducing... Are making it easier for them to eat more carbohydrate, and also obviously around games, higher fat intakes can come with things like gastric discomfort and distress during competition, which we're which we're trying to avoid. Um, but yeah, the um, I guess we ju- we don't have the the data to make any informed decisions on whether things like fat adapting or higher fat intakes are beneficial in games. My guess is probably not, given the kind of higher Intensity, um, or and the intermittent nature of Gaelic games.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think it's in. A, was it race walkers or something like that that it's been shown yeah. to be performance something like that? But obviously, that's like you know, it's it's walking um, and a, these lower yeah. intensity. Um, I think maybe even in some sort of like ultra marathon stuff that it may be beneficial. But I think, like you said, it's probably negligible, especially when you're thinking yeah. about other factors that can be improved on. Um that may not even be nutrition related that can yeah. you know enhance performance rather than getting caught up in some of these things
1: um yeah exactly yeah and like obviously the it makes perfect sense to look at those strategies in like ultra endurance and mm. and race walking where it 's very likely that um fat is going to be a fuel source at some stage um ideally we don 't want players to um get to the point where they 're depleted. In a game and have to rely on fat oxidation. Um, I know it's not as as simple and as straightforward as that, but that's ultimately the goal. We're talking a seventy-minute game. Put in a warm-up. We're potentially getting to ninety minutes and a little bit beyond um, where we're looking at in looking at potentially being glycogen depleted if we're not replenishing um, carbohydrate through the game. But um, yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't happen. But, yeah. I guess going back to what we talked about earlier, it probably does happen because we see players are chronically low on carbohydrates, um, which means even if they're employing really good carbohydrate loading strategies, um, they're potentially still not doing enough to to fill up glycogen stores, but we don't mm.
0: know. Yeah. yeah. I think people, people often over index on the, the fat, you know, Oh, it's, it's endurance. So therefore you use fat and then I should eat more fat. I, I was reading something about, um, uh, I think it was Khashoggi or one of the the fastest faster marathon runners, uh, Kapchoggi. Uh, Khashoggi, (laughs) kashoggi is the 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 journalist who was killed in istanbul um kashoggi um yeah i I believe when they when they looked at some of the energy uh or energy metabolism within him um he was it was primarily carbohydrates that he was burning for the whole marathon it wasn't actually even fat and it's actually the slower people who end up using using fat fat. yeah yeah. just on, on the sorry go ahead
1: no, no, I was just going to say, I think in, in general, I see more utility in some kind of carbohydrate restriction or training, train low strategies um, for increasing things like carb- or mitochondrial biogenesis or capacity to dioxide carbohydrates and, and fat to showing more, more promise as a, a strategy that can be periodized than some of the kind of fat adapting or fat loading strategies.
0: And tra- train low basically is kind of training in fasted states or or not yeah. eating after, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. in case people aren't aren't aware, it's kind of like training in some some glycogen depleted or low carb states so that when you do come yeah. to a game, but but not not eating low carbs for a game, right? It's
1: it's it's yeah. So again, it's um something that I one of the things I try to work with players on is, is understanding that nutrition-like training is, is typically on a spectrum whereby at one end of that spectrum we're talking about optimizing performance um, and at the other end of that at the spectrum we're, talk, we're looking at optimizing adaptation. Um, so that would be a strategy for optimizing adaptation um, during uh, pre-season or, tra- or heavy training periods um, whereas on the other end of the spectrum we're obviously talking about eating lots of carbohydrate to optimize acute mm. performance.
0: And and by adaptations in this context, you mean mm. the body's ability to switch between carbohydrates and fat sources when it's needed at an optimal rate, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On the topic of adaptations, another one would be body composition. So yeah. this is something that is extremely uh you Know extremely present or at the forefront of a lot of Gaelic players' minds, um, yeah. or not just Gaelic players but but a lot of sporting performance. And everybody's human, everybody wants to kind of look good. Um, I even know some professional footballers that you know play for the, the Irish international team that are doing some crazy uh nutrition strategies because they want to look like Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, yeah. but when it comes to um body composition for Gaelic players, I, I guess the, the first thing to think about first would be actually what is ideal because most people don't think about that they just think six pack lots of muscle yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But what what would actually be the ideal body composition for performance and, and is that the same as just being you know lean and ripped and then kind of I guess we could go from there in terms of how do you actually get there so is there any data around what what that would actually look like or do we just look at the top footballers for from from intercounty football and say well that's what they're like so you know let's aim for that
1: yeah um so the i guess the short answer is from a uh body fat perspective because that's typically yeah. the one that most people are are interested in we don't really know but obviously we can look to other sports like to an extent um common sense applies here in that um we're trying to optimize performance so obviously um being um Sub ten percent probably, or or trying to look like a bodybuilder, um, from a a leanest perspective is not going to um optimize performance. Um, how do you feel, Adam, when you're at your leanest, yeah. ready for stage?
0: Yeah. So I mean, I've I've often thought about this question because some. Um, I think I spoke to Doctor Grant Tinsley about this, and maybe Renee McGregor as well. Is that some people just do well when they're really lean, um, mm. and And others don't. So that's why I'm often, I often question around like. These numbers that players should get to, um, as in the ideal or benchmarks, is it, are they just is that just survivorship bias where they're actually able to perform at that body fat percentage and they're the best, or is it that people will perform better when they get there if that makes sense but yeah to, to, to come back to your original question is yeah you, you feel pretty bad. I know I'm in an energy deficit and stuff, but yeah you't you don't, you, don't, you don't feel very good being that lean
1: yeah yeah, yeah, so I guess it's it's trying to strike that balance. Where you're you're lean enough to optimize performance. Again, performance is very vague. So if we're talking about um, again, a footballer, obviously, we're seventy minutes they're potentially going to cover nine kilometers. So obviously, if we can be lighter, we're going to be more efficient than from an energetic perspective, um, but not. Um, but not trying to get so lean that we're we're sacrificing energy intake and having a negative impact from that perspective. Um, obviously, light, being lighter is going to improve things like power to, to mass or power to weight ratio, um, which will allow us to jump higher, run faster, change direction better. Um, but it's a trade-off. Like Ultimately, um, I guess, the goal, I don't want to come back to, to bodybuilding again, but just because I know that's something we're quite interested in we're on stage if you're on stage, you're looking to be as lean as possible and look as muscular as possible um and we're not you're probably not your healthiest at that point, but really to to perform consistently at your best, I think that's the the key here is that footballers or soccer players they don't have to play one game that they're they're peaking for um that potentially you could get away with being a little bit leaner and get the advantage of being leaner, but they have to perform. Multiple weeks in a row, um, mm-hmm. so optimizing kind of health uh, and the kind of vague term wellness and um, is going to be key to being able to sustain performance across the season. So you're looking at striking a balance, and the, uh, the, uh, it's a very good point what you said is in terms of is there a specific threshold? And some people do um, do deal much better with being a little bit leaner than others. So it's working with the players and. Um, collecting as much data as possible if you're the nutritionist and and keeping records trying to identify okay at what weight and body composition um, does each player appear to perform at their best and also feel feel their best
0: yeah I think um, there's It's definitely an area where where someone could just say, "Well, why couldn't you be super lean and just eat more food and and just stay lean and eat more food?" But there seems to be some emerging evidence between like leptin and your niche and metabolism. Therefore, you can't. Some people just can't stay lean without being in a relative energy deficiency. Like yeah. I don't, I can't stay nine percent body fat and just slowly work my calories up and and get the 4000 calories yeah just my body yeah. uh, my my metabolism just it would it wouldn't allow me i'd be i would gain weight if i ate yeah. you know and if i wanted to maintain that weight i'd have to eat very little which obviously wouldn't be very good for performance yeah and then another point and i think I'm, you touched on was um that like you need to figure out what to perform what's like the end point outcome yeah. and i think in not just nutrition but like strength and conditioning and you have these coaches or you know um, trainers or nutritionists doing things but not really trying not really measuring what they're actually trying to achieve so like have players doing certain exercise or squatting you know doing some sort of squat program um but like w- what are you trying to get them to do like jump higher run faster like and not even measuring these things same with the nutrition it's like well get him leaner but now he's getting knocked yeah. off the ball <laughs> or like you know so you gotta, you gotta get like if you're going to do something you should be thinking about like okay you know, if i'm going to change something i need to be able to manage this variable kind of like if you're running a business you need to like if you're going to change something you want to make sure that you're managing that so that you can yeah. see whether you should do it more or less
1: yeah, I think that's that's the, the crucial thing. And uh, one thing that's particularly difficult um, from a nutrition perspective is if we talk about, say, being, uh, working in strength and conditioning, whereby um, we've got, say, we want to make an athlete stronger, faster, and in- improve their endurance. We've got very objective data that can tell us that we've achieved that. Um it's a little bit more difficult to quantify the effect of a nutrition intervention in the context of a team sport, because there's so many pieces of the, the puzzle that I guess contribute yeah. to someone performing well or performing poorly, either in a training session or, or in a game. Yeah. Um, and that
0: the person kind of, beside them could be playing well and made them play better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that can kind of sometimes make it, that can definitely make it difficult to, to, to create buy-in because you like there's no easy way to directly demonstrate that what you're trying to do is having a positive impact on the, on the players Mm. in, in comparison to some of those other parts of the same multi team that that supports uh, an elite football team or across any team sport really. Um, so it takes time to try and develop that and create that buy-in. Um, I've again, if you can use data to demonstrate that as, as much as possible. Um, I've worked with players where their carbohydrate intake has been particularly poor and over time tried to improve it. Um, and there will be some improvements and buy-in drops off. So I, I'll try and get GPS data, for example, from a training session and purposely control the carbohydrate intake. So it's kind of where they started. And then on a different day, try and get them to kind of follow the ideal of that time point in the season. Um, let's say try and convince them from a, a data perspective, but thing and it does work. You, you maybe have to do it a lot, but there's every every chance that you could do that. And on the day that they eat well, their data is worse for lots of other reasons that you described, or contextual reasons or environmental reasons. So it can be difficult. Um I think that's the probably the most difficult part about um, working in nutrition. Mm.
0: When it comes to the, back to the the kind of the body composition, like if someone did want to improve, let's say they were, like it was, they weren't like 12% trying to get a 10 for a male. They were 22% body fat and they knew that they were overweight. How did I, match performance. How do they make sure that they're eating a high carbohydrate diet, eating enough to perform, but also then drop body fat because you need to be in an energy deficit to drop that body fat. So that's definitely something that I see with players, not just in, in Gaelic sports, but like even even at the higher level professional and other sports where they'll have the summer off and they will eat and drink a party and then be okay, it's okay, I'm fifteen pounds overweight, but the season's starting so I'm going to lose that the start of the season. How do you balance that without impacting performance?
1: yeah so i guess um before I, I jump into the specifics of this um one of the, we talked about performance there and unfortunately one of the big motivators is what you brought up is the players want to look good and they want um and that's whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is up for debate but that's one of the big motivators um for people buying into nutrition a lot of the time sometimes that's uh, the view of players and even coaching staff is that the nutritionist's ultimate role is to improve body composition. And obviously it goes far beyond that. Um, but in terms of losing body fat, I guess, first, first and foremost, it's looking at the, the time point in the season. Typically if you're in season, um, especially if it's kind of championship end of the season where the matches are a little bit more important, even in the scenario where players Need to lose body fat. Um, I'm I'm probably not going to encourage if they try to do it at that time point. Um, we're going to look at unless okay, unless there was a scenario whereby their body fat levels were to the extent that it was potentially put them putting them at risk of injury um, due to excessive weight. But I mean, that's unlikely mm. to happen for the most part. Um, so in those busy periods of games, I'll I'll basically just encourage them not to, and I'll be prescribing them a diet to try and optimize performance and maintain their current weight. And it's likely that across six, seven weeks, that, that body composition is probably going to improve a little bit anyway with um, the increase in intensity in training and matches. So the, the key for me is to to be very selective in, in the time points throughout the, the year that you're going to... Um, Pick when it's kind of appropriate to to put a player into an energy deficit, and um, what that looks like uh, will very much depend on the person and obviously how much weight they have to lose. But again, it's typically a relatively um, relatively low energy deficit, but that can vary like. If we're if I'm working if you're working with players that have a lot of experience with dieting for example, or losing body fat in the past, they can maybe be a little bit more assertive in shorter time periods um provided that they've show history that um, that if they've done that that they can maintain the the body composition that they end up with at the end of that phase once they go back into um training um so I guess it's it's a it's a very very tough balance but um, the key to this is, um, I guess, having open dialogue between the player and the coaches and the staff because um, what I see a lot is that players um, are afraid, for example, that if I tell them, look, your performance is going to drop in training or possibly drop in training, might not, um, if we put you into a calorie deficit um and they're worried that they'll underperform and other players might then take their place in the team, if that makes sense. Mm. So once there's open dialogue with the coaching staff, um, as well as the, the player and everyone understands, that, look, we're in a period, as I said earlier, in a period where we're focusing on optimizing adaptation for this player, um, that then we can reduce um, energy intake. And again, it's uh, typically the, the reduction is going to come from carbohydrates.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've I've often worked with some clients that maybe are more focused on the body composition, but still play Gaelic. And yeah. the, the way that we we worked it was well, one um, let them know that there's not a uh, there's not it's not mutually um, inclusive in terms of getting leaner and performing better, and that if there's a Venn diagram, there may not be crossover, um, yeah. and that it's- and then just kind of maybe manipulating the the carbohydrates around their game days or the day before or the day of and then the other days maybe having being in a deficit so it's kind of like a a periodized within the week so that they can still get leaner and maybe not has uh, as much as a decrement in their performance probably will still be depleted because I think thinking I know we talked about bodybuilding a few times but people wonder like well why can't you just um you know, keep fat really low, and then eat a really high carb diet, and then just be, you know, full of glycogen, but be in an energy deficit. It's like, well, that's not really how your body kind of favors energy use, because that would be great. You walk around full of glycogen, you look full, get great pumps, and you're still yeah, losing yeah. body fat. But it just, you know, your body will go for whatever energy is kind of easily available.
1: There, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think what you you said there is a, a very good point in terms of um, of the prioritizing more carbohydrate during. Around the games and carbohydrate loading strategies, while maybe reducing it throughout the week. Um, and I think if you are working with dealing with players that um, are showing are demonstrating that they're they're pretty good at following guidelines or somewhat optimal, I think that's brilliant. But for the for the most part, we're we're potentially working with a population that are chronically under eating. So if we're then trying to reduce carbohydrate further during periods of um, match play it can be a little it can become problematic mm. and we're kind of obviously where our glycogen tank is is getting a little bit smaller on a day-to-day basis anyway potentially um so it's just something to, to be wary of but yeah that's that's definitely a, a mm. viable strategy
0: so from a from a, like an n equals one perspective or a person working mo- just by themselves like because most teams won't have a nutritionist yeah. um how how would they know if they're eating enough uh, other than kind of following the guidelines, like people obviously are fearful of, they don't want to gain weight. They don't, want to, they you know most people don't want to gain weight. Um, you know, like when we talk about body gumption, most people kind of think about getting leaner and more muscular, but really they don't yeah. want to gain fat. So they're fearful yeah. of that. Um, and then we have, you know, healthy eating guidelines where people should be eating like you know whole and processed foods. And so how how can they both um make sure that they don't get, you know eat too much, but then also how can they get enough food in, um, given that the guidelines you recommend is quite a lot of food?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, and the, see, those guidelines are sort of five to ten and possibly twelve grams per carbohydrate in preparation for for games. Like, there's definitely players that can't eat in those guidelines and will put on weight. Like, there's. I wouldn't be able to eat ten grams of carbohydrate per kilogram, for example um I, even if I was I, I get a football i don't think, but um so very much comes down to understanding the individual but one th- I guess that the message that I often try to communicate is look we're trying to get you to eat as much micro- or nutrient dense food as possible while keeping you in a certain i guess realm of optimal body composition. And that's not only referring to body fat, but kind of whether they're functioning most effectively from a body mass or a muscle mass perspective. Also, um, typically, play, a lot of players will lose weight over the in-season period, um, and it's a it's a battle to try and prevent that. Um, just with obviously one an increase in probably total running distance and, and intensity from from gameplay. And then also we, we typically see a, a drop in obviously the volume of resistance training during during those periods. Um there has been a there was a a shift whereby a, a lot of players um wanted to put on a lot of muscle mass and get very big, and I think that comes from social media influence potentially. But we're looking at, although I keep keep coming back to this idea of identifying the ideal weight for each player, you're kind of looking at somewhere in the the realms of 85 kilos appears to be what we're looking at um, from the perspective of optimizing performance plus or minus standard deviations around that. Um, But we're working with the player to identify what their, what their most effective weight is. And then we're, we're basically trying to get as much nutrients into them while maintaining that as possible. Um, I
0: don't know if that answers your question i'm sorry yeah no no it does so the, the other question i i guess was like um you know trying to hit those targets given that yeah. um people are often being told you have to eat you know whole unprocessed yeah. foods you know especially for somebody who's trying to eat say like you know if you are 85 kilos that yeah, that would so, be 850 grams of carbohydrates that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of potatoes how, how yeah, do you yeah, yeah. How, how would you Go about that. Do you, do you recommend people get a little bit like uh you know more lax about their their food choices yeah. in terms of like processed yeah. etc.
1: Yeah. So we we for the most part we ha- you have to or we have to as you said. Uh, you'd imagine being ninety kilos and trying to eat nine hundred grams of carbohydrate from potatoes. <laughs> um, it obviously wouldn't be achievable, and you'd probably be in a lot of gastric discomfort. Um, as a result. So it's one of the, the big messages um, that I'm, I try to communicate with my players is to try and I guess remove this concept of healthy or unhealthy or, or bad and good foods um, and obviously and teach them, okay, we have nutrient-dense foods and foods that um, lack nutrient density. Um, but there's obviously benefits of those processed carbohydrates, for example, um, to facilitate increased carbohydrate intake on at certain time points, and that's crucial. So, um, like, I, I often have players eating bowls of cocoa pops or eating jellies or um, whatever their preferred or easiest carbohydrate source is on days where the carbohydrate intake is very very high, or or taking carbohydrate based shakes. Um, so it's, I guess it's, it's trying to. First of all, I guess in general, we're talking about like nutrition guidelines for athletes and nutrition guidelines from from a public health perspective will vary from time to time. In scenarios like this, um, um, when it comes to things like sugar intake and the, and the need for for increased uh, carbohydrate availability, sodium obviously being another one potentially at time points. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah.
0: So any last uh, final uh, recommendations or practical tips for somebody who, in terms of nutrition, for somebody who is looking to maximize their performance uh, in gator games?
1: Um, Last minute. I guess it's, from my experience, there is almost, um, again, this is anecdotal. We should have data data on this in, in the future, that there is a somewhat, a, appears to be a kind of carbohydrate phobia almost across the board. Um, not across the board, but it's something we see quite a lot in players because they're afraid of negative impacts on body composition for the most part. So trying to, I guess, reframe that, carbohydrates are obviously absolutely necessary. Um, they're requirement for optimizing performance. Um, and they're obviously our, our fastest and most efficient fuel source. Um so I guess don't be afraid to, to eat more carbohydrate. Um one thing that we, we maybe didn't touch on is um being prepared as as much as possible. Um in like players will be training in the evenings after a long day of work. A lot of time won't have meals prepped for post training. Um so preparation and kind of uh food prep or or if you're a nutritionist working with a club, food provision eventually around around sessions. Um, to provide carbohydrate is important typically players are good at at getting in getting protein in or consuming enough protein i think that kind of comes from potentially social media and the potentially overemphasis on protein sometimes um which i guess don't be afraid to eat more carbohydrate and body composition is not forever so we can ultimately um Experiment with what the optimal is, and figure that over time. Don't be in a rush to to be in your best shape tomorrow. Um, mm. Take the the long approach, um, and then I guess the reason why I focus on carbide is because typically they they do the rest of the basic guidelines pretty well. Um, the other thing that we didn't touch on is things like fruit and vegetable intake is typically pretty poor as well. Um, so that's something that typically needs to to be improved and in the context of not eating enough carbohydrate that can obviously make it difficult for some players from a vegetable perspective when we consider things like um satiety um but yet that i think they would be that would be a good starting point mm.
0: yeah i have a, a sister who she did play for the one of the, I think it was minor Dublin uh, or one of them. She She's young, but recently, and she, she's always uh, onto me about a diet, but it's a diet that, you know, someone on social media, because she's followed, yeah. you know, fitness, like Gymshark person, you know, not because yeah. she wants to improve her, her Gaelic performance. So it's, there's always that, you know, pull to, to not only, th- even if you know that performance is not, you know, ultimate performance yeah. is not, uh you know, what, you know being shredded it's still hard to to kind of accept that and to to go for that um because one it's not again you're not being paid for it so you know it's maybe different if you're being paid for it as well and then obviously you have the pull of just wanting to to look um to look a certain way because
1: you know yeah Yeah, definitely i I think it's the other the kind of the other 23 hours that we talk about being important it's like the hour two hours with the coaches in training where everything's prescribed is very easy but outside of that um where you have to control your own nutrition nobody's going to put the food in your in your mouth um mm. yeah needs a little bit of focus sometimes um
0: yeah yeah and, and i think players are people are surprised at how much of an impact it can actually have um I've, i personally did a, a small intervention with the semi-professional team but uh not gaelic but just by pr- showing some stats to the manager about you know, drop-off performance at halftime, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and showing if they have a little bit more carbohydrate availability, and again, because people are, you know, they're not pr- 100% professional, they end up getting overweight. But that's because they're not because they're eating carbs, it's because they're drinking loads of alcohol in the off season and yeah. going for you know yeah, yeah. burgers and chips and everything, and then mm-hmm. they think, oh, I'll use the sport to lose weight, but then they're just in chronic energy. Uh, the deficit, and but then you know, it just w- when you do get that buy in and show the performance, it actually you know, you can see how much it actually impacts it. Yeah. But, um, it's been great to have Jan here on where can people find more about the, your information and, and the work that you do, and, and what else is keeping you up late at night?
1: Yeah, actually, that's you're touching on a good point in terms of keeping me up late at night. That's actually another big problem I see. Um, <laughs> before I, I wrap things up, is uh, with players training at six or seven in the evenings. Um, potentially if they're an in inter the player traveling from maybe Dublin to Sligo Limerick to train consuming uh, lots of caffeine 6-7 in the evening um, and then sleep quality recovery and everything that comes with that is, is a massive problem um, but we've, that's potentially a conversation for another day um, so yeah people can find me across the board on social media I guess on um, Twitter in, on Instagram, Dr Biomechanics on Twitter, just my full name um and yeah, we're we're hopefully our our research group here are are working on um a lot of these questions at the moment and hopefully we'll have more work in, in the future. I'm also on the we have a sports nutrition working group as a subgroup of the, the National Sports Science Steering Committee for Gaelic Football. Um and we're currently putting together the kind of first consensus statement for nutrition in gaelic games, um which hopefully will be out this year also.
0: Great. I'll, I'll share all the links in the show notes. Thanks for coming on, Kieran.
1: Not a problem. Thanks for having me, Adam. It was a pleasure.